Hi everyone, I'm Greg Mutasevich. When I'm not co-hosting Robots from Tomorrow with Mike Romeo for Multiversity Comics, I'm writing their monthly comic book binding column, Shelfbound. And from now until June 5th, I'm auctioning off a different, custom-bound volume of comics from my collection every weekday to benefit the Hero Initiative. Auctions start at $25 and run for three days. Some of the binds up for auction include Alan Moore's Miracle Man, colored Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles graphic novels, and the launch of Milestone Comics, signed and sketched by Dennis Cowan. Follow Multiversity Comics on Twitter and keep checking out the site every day to see what other comics we're pulling out of the long boxes and putting on bookshelves for charity. Maybe your bookshelf. Welcome back to the DC3 cast. My name is Brian. With me, as always, are Zach and Vince. And we are here to talk about Underworld Unleashed. This is a, uh, a relatively small event in terms of the actual story, though, like many events of this time, and I guess current time as well, it's spun off into lots and lots of DC books. But this is from 1995, written by Mark Wade, illustrated by Howard Porter, the main series. And Vince is going to take us through this one. So, Vincey, take it away. Yeah, okay. So, um, first I want to begin by by talking about how, uh, you know, the Year of the Villain stuff that we recently read with the, the Snyder Justice League story arc uh, in the, the main DCU has been compared quite often to Underworld Unleashed. And I had no... I had never read Underworld Unleashed before, so I didn't know how true that was or not, or I didn't really understand how that was the case. Had either of you guys read this, or or, or know, did you know anything about this before reading it this time? I have read it before. I read it you last have. summer as part of my Shazam read-through. Of course. I, I knew what it was about. Okay. So I, <laughs> I was actually blown away by how, you know, right away it is so amazingly similar to the uh the year of the villain stuff the what the offer it was called the the lex luthor yeah. offer because um underworld unleashed number one uh written by mark wade and with art by howard porter begins with uh cadabra the dc villain cadabra offering the rogues the flash rogues upgrades in order to do his bidding and you find out that all the villains in the DCU are being offered upgrades or, um, you know, whatever their wildest dream or wish is to come true as long as they work for, you find out eventually, uh, the devil. And uh, I was just kind of like, yeah, this is this is exactly uh, the offer, you know, is it not? I mean, you guys have any qualms with, with that? It, it was pretty similar, right? Oh, yeah. No, yeah. 100%. Yeah, it, it is very similar. I would say that the one main difference is that with Luthor, he's he thinks he's doing the right thing, whereas Nero, Neron, rather, is just such a classic mustache-twirling villain that there's yeah. not the same, like, pathos there. Right. And and literally described as the devil himself. So, yes, yeah. Yeah. Um. Okay, so anyway, the, the, the rogues are offered these upgrades. They're set to um, set off some explosions that are going to set some, some things in motion for the event to come. Um, and uh, you, you kind of see this through the eyes of the trickster, um, James Jesse, the Flash villain, who is going to kind of be our first-person view of this from from the viewpoint of a villain right so he's kind of our he's kind of the guy that we're seeing this through and um uh the flat the other flash rogues appear to die at this point as well um which is which is pretty crazy um 
I think. I think that's kind of a nice way to set off this event because, uh, you know, that that's like a big bang without doing something that's um, – I, I don't think that really qualifies as like shock value or anything. Um, I think that's, that's a legitimately great uh, sort of flashpoint for this, for this event to start off on. Um, so anyway, uh, at this point, all the, the plan is to let out all the prisoners at Belle Reve. And um, then, let's see, we're introduced to uh, Neron, who is like this super sexy villain devil character. Um, and Cadaver's revealed as one of his sidekicks. Neron has this like inner circle of villains within the the greater scheme of the villains in the DCU, and uh, they include help me out here. They include the Joker, Lex, Cadabra, Cersei, and Doctor Polaris, and Doctor Polaris, right? And um, so you know, in some ways, that's also kind of like the the Snyder Justice League stuff because you've got your you've got you've got your like villain team but there's clearly like a hierarchy as far as like uh you know who's within lex's inner circle right in that um the, the legion of doom folks sinestro yeah. grod uh yeah cheetah etc exactly so yeah. interestingly so, no no overlap here except for joker and yeah. he was only temporary right right um so, so Neron's gathering all these villains up, and and he he literally gets by the end of the first issue, he's basically got every major villain for sure in his sort of underworld lair, um, and he's kind of ra- he's rallying them to use their considerable talents, and he will help them, and he will give them great gifts, and all this, you know, it's the classic devil on your shoulder type thing, um. And and then as far as Trickster is concerned, who again is like our our uh, our eyes and ears through this thing, Neron kind of has like a special interest in Trickster for whatever reason, and uh, and so it, it's funny because he kind of makes his way through this thing uh, at Neron's side, not a part of that that sort of inner circle, but also not owing Neron anything, you know, like, like it's kind of a weird dynamic between those two. Like he, he's almost like uh Neron almost takes him in as like a surrogate son or something. <laughs> like he brings him along and, and, and Neron, everybody else owes Neron their soul basically, except for Trickster. And it, it's never really established whether that was, because Trickster has legitimately tricked him, or because Neron just doesn't have anything he really wants or needs from him. Yeah, it's funny because later later in the series, Trickster says, "I tricked, <laughs> I tricked Neron this whole time," but it doesn't really explain how or why <laughs> or why. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a pretty. I mean, that's pretty much it for the first issue. It's pretty much streamlined. Uh, a streamlined gathering of all these villains, uh, a clear offer made to them, and, and kind of a rallying of the troops sort of thing. Um, at the end of the issue, you do get you get Blue Devil also being summoned to the underworld. Um, and of course, right now he's a hero. And uh, I don't I don't know the timeline for Shadow Pact or anything like that, but he's he's considered uh, among the magical heroes uh like dr fate and company that we that you know they're always grouped together um yeah he's he's within that group and he gets summoned to explore a new opportunity and the first issue kind of wants to make you think that he's going to turn on the heroes but i think it's pretty obvious that that he's not um but anyway that's how the that's how the first issue ends it ends with with Blue Devil uh, taking the opportunity for this invite to the underworld. Um, anything you guys want to talk about as far as the first issue is concerned that I didn't mention? 
Well, um, um, the one thing I did want to say is I feel like James Jesse is a really good um, sort of hmm, – how can I put this? Like an exemplar of what the rogues were for a long time, which is that they were kind of two-bit villains. They were never – they were never trying to like destroy the world or take over the world. They were they were fighting for their corner of Central City, and that was always a really important thing in like Jeff Johns comics, right? Is that there was sort of an honor among the rogues, and there was a code of ethics that they followed, and all of that. And I feel like even though at this point he's a somewhat reformed villain, you get a sense of sort of what the rogues were like in general. And that is contrasted very much so with the other villains here. Like he never, he doesn't want to sell his soul for anything. He's not in it for those purposes. So I think that he is a really smart. Like it was smart of Wade to pick one of the rogues to be that um, that man on the inside for the reader. And I think that overall, the issue works. I mean, I think that there there is some there is some similar. There are some similar moments among the other villains and sort of what they're asking for, but Trickster really stands out, and I like that. Yeah, I think I think Wade does a solid job of of setting that up and and giving this event that that you know really has no business uh, <laughs> having an, some some kind of heart to it. You know, he, he really is, he ends up being the heart of this thing. In some ways, well, one of one of a couple hearts, I think. Yes. Um, but uh, but yeah, it really works for me. And and Zach, you were you were hooting and hollering before we got on the call about the Howard Porter art. Yeah, I was gonna say just that you know this is like two years before he and Morrison were on Justice League, and it felt like I was reading an issue of that at least like visually. Um, it was kind of jarring. <laughs> just yeah. That it, <laughs> um but yeah it was good yeah it's really in, good in that regard yeah it certainly isn't the porter art will uh will come to know in a few years no it's a lot different but um i i mean i i like modern porter but i like that era too i think like of 90s artist he has a style that's kind of i won't say like necessarily timeless but it it it's a little bit less uh, it feels a little bit less dated than, you know, some of his contemporaries, for sure. Yeah, it definitely has those 90s flourishes in there, but they're not – there's so much meat underneath it that the sizzle doesn't bother you so much. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, did any of you guys read any of the one-shot tie-ins to this? So I had read this entire event a year ago. Mm-hmm. But I don't remember a single thing that happened in any of the one shots. Okay, all right. Nah, and I, yeah, I didn't. No, you I didn't. Was... Okay. Um, I'm not really gonna. I'm just gonna mention them and 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 give a one line thing about what happens in them. Um, so the first the first one starts after the first issue here, and it's it's Apocalypse Dark Uprising. Uh, it's written by Paul Kupperberg, and the art is by Stefano Raphael. Um, this is kind of just about the Kirby New Gods characters and, and, and Neron coming to sort of... It's the thing we've talked about with these events where like you have to show Darkseid, but yep. wh whether you're going to involve him in the event or not, he has to be a part of it in some way. And this is almost like a diversion because you get, you get one one-shot that's about Darkseid and company, and Darkseid actually spends almost the entire issue missing in action... And really what you find out is that Neron has just turned all of um, Apocalypse kind of against one another into factions. So, like, uh, with Darkseid gone, the Hunger Dogs and the Armageddon consider rising up. Um, Granny Goodness has her own faction. Uh, you know, Steppenwolf has his. And they... And they and it's, it's basically that, and you find out by the end it was just Neron sowing sowing dissent, and kind of keeping them away from his operation, you know. Um, so that so that's it. it. It's kind of a neat little issue. It's 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 not bad as a so, one shot. Brian Brian might be able to answer this. I don't know if you read this fence, but I did see that 
New Gods number two of that 90s New Gods series was a tie-in to this? Does mm-hmm. that, I guess, does that pick up on some of those threads? Or so it's really weird that the second issue of a new series <laughs> would tie into this crossover. If I recall correctly, all of the one-shots tell somewhat uh, contained stories that are like snapshots of the event. Like, you know, for this is what Neuron is doing on Apocalypse, right? But all mm-hmm. of the tie-in issues deal with specifically the characters, not the setting. Okay. Does that sound about right, Vince? Yeah, my, my sense of it was that the tie-ins were kind of like the Year of the Villain issues where uh, it you was see more just... what the what the, what they accepted, their deal. Or yeah, and you, yeah. you see like one villain go out, enter the hero's book and use their new ability or whatever, you know? Um... Yeah, so that's my that's my sense of it. Even though I didn't really read any of them, um, so that's the first one shot. Then we've got Underworld Unleashed number two, and um, <laughs> this is where uh, this is where like uh, blue. So Blue Devil uh, kind of got seduced a little bit by Neron, and and actually considers accepting the. Uh, the gift from Neron in order to sort of sell his soul. Uh, of course, Blue Devil is like a like a a B level, maybe even C level actor in the DCU, right? The, the Cassidy, the uh, the the person who wears the the Dan Blue Cassidy. Devil. Yes, that's right. Yep. Um, and he's going to exchange his soul f- to Neron in exchange for uh, meaty leading man parts, right? <laughs> <laughs> to do an Arrested Development uh, <laughs> reference. <laughs> um, and you find out here, too, like what some of the other villains have traded their souls for. And the Joker's is by far the best one, I think. The Joker sold his soul for a box of Cuban cigars. Yep. Which is fantastic. I mean, come on. That's, that's man... The, when the Joker is good, he's good, guys. Um, you would know. <laughs> yep, I'm I'm a sicko. I'm the Joker, baby. Um, Neron also starts going around to various heroes in the DCU, trying to recruit them. And really, he says he's looking for one person in particular, but he's he's trying his hand at at various heroes around the dcu to try to get them to join his side you want to step do you want to say something brian no not at all oh okay um did well i will i will did did either of you feel like the who that person was was did did you feel like that was obvious or a good surprise we won't see who it was because it's going to come later but i i thought it was kind of obvious i mean wade throws a lot of misdirection at you make you think it's superman for obvious reasons uh-huh um, yeah well i think yeah i think he he it's so obvious that it's superman i think it uh you, you almost kind of think okay there has to be a, an alternative and well, the, the one thing i'll say is this is that um i think you're right zach but even at the end of the issue they never say where superman is and that's kind of weird no they don't you're right <laughs> like, how you're right missing. superman never appears in this crossover at all which is really unusual for the time. Well, I think he isn't. I, I know that I didn't read his like his ongoing issues that tied into this. I don't. But in the in the um, main series, he never shows up. Yeah. Now, was this? <clears throat> help me place this. Was this concurrent with like the um, return of Superman stuff, or no, this is much later than this that? This would be after. This is much later. So when he, was that? That gotta, was 90. You got to realize by the time zero hour happened, Superman's already totally back. Oh, okay. And this is okay. a full year after zero hour. And Superman was back for probably six months before zero hour. Okay. So he's just missing for some other reason. <laughs> yes. This is, I want to say we're like within a year of electric blue Superman. Okay. But we're not quite there yet. So this is, I, I believe this is like full-on ponytail marrying Lois Lane Superman. Mm-hmm. Lois and Clark, the new adventures, etc. 
Okay. All right. So he's going around to the various heroes. He stops by Wally, and he he says, "Wally, give me your soul, and I'll I'll let I'll uh, return Barry Allen to the Earth." Um, of course, the heroes pretty much all reject him. Um, well, a couple take him up on his offer, which which is, um, which it's interesting. Which heroes take him up on the offer? Did you notice yeah, who but, they were? Well, yes, but like, not. None of them that we spend a lot of time with take him up. Like, you see later that they took him up on, on the offer, but, like, none of them that he's visiting, right? Like, do we see any of them actually accept? Yes, we see I a couple of them do. We, we Triumph. See, well, yes, yeah, so we, we see Triumph, the insult comic dog, accept. Um, <laughs> yeah. We see the Ray accept. Oh, yeah. And we okay. see the Spectre accept. Yeah, which, which is bizarre. Yeah, to that me. one's that one's weird. Yeah, like the I specter wasn't... who refuses to get involved with human dealings will sell his soul. Yeah, yeah. Well, I wasn't sure about he's, that one because he's clearly just ticked off at his boss and wants to. <laughs> we'll we'll get to that because the way that that was handled was really weird. I do um, want to say one more thing on that page. There is a great panel of Lobo basically saying, "Talk to the hand." Yeah, the, the illustration of him, he's just like putting his hand in his face. And it's it's a very <laughs> 90s. Uh, it's a very 90s panel. Very. Um, so he shows up in the Batcave. He for this one, he basically offers to return Jason Todd to life. Uh, basically, that's his. That's his pitch, like all these all these heroes that have died. Uh, he's gonna offer their best friend or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So you get you get Barry, you get Jason Todd, you get Alex in the fridge. Um, yeah. He, he, he says like she was murdered, she was cut up, and she was fridged. <laughs> like <laughs> that term was already being used at this point. Yep. Um, the one of the fun ones is he goes to to Superboy to Khan in uh, Honolulu. And he, he tempts weird him. Weird sequence. Really weird. Very <laughs> weird. He tempts him. He says, "He says, hey, I'll I'll take care of that Superman for you, and then yeah. you can be the real Superman." <laughs> well, have you have you guys well, ever read he... the issues of Superboy where he's living in Hawaii? No. So no. The, the entire Superboy series, I believe, from when it launches, maybe not number one, but early on, he's living in Hawaii, and like ever. I've read a couple of them last summer when Captain Marvel Jr. shows up in some of those stories, but he's basically always like, got to get back to babes at the beaches, guys. <laughs> Limited time here. Babes at the beaches. Babes, babes, babes. Like a lot of it is just him trying to get, uh, trying to get laid in, in, in the ocean. Um, but there's a, there's a weirdness in here where basically the Hawaiians are, are, are insulting him for being a mainlander. And I know that is a thing, but it just it comes out of nowhere in this book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, almost even, like violently attacking other mainlanders, which I feel like was a weird <laughs> it felt really weird, I don't know. Um yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm very see I'm very unfamiliar with this time in the in the DCU. It's wild. It's like so anything that's happening outside and I'm just catching bits and pieces of, I'm like, <laughs> I have no idea what's going on. This is, I, um, I would say this is maybe six months before Morrison's JLA starts. Yeah. Does that sound about right? And I feel I, like, I, feel I like, thought it was in 97. Was it 96? Well, because Electric Blue Superman is in JLA. The but, second but not, arc, though. Yeah, but not in the first. Exactly. And electric. Yeah. Right, let's just look this up. Um, JLA Grant Morrison. Um, I'm sorry. It was ni- it was early '97. It was it was January '97. My apologies. So yeah. So we're so I guess we're about a year, a little more than a year away from this. And I feel like that is the point post zero hour where, like zero hour, there were so many interesting ideas that spun out of that, but there's also a lot of crap that spins out of it. And I feel like JLA is the beginning of everything coalescing into what's essentially, to me, a 10-year, really interesting period of time. Basically, from JLA 
through the end of 52 is is my favorite DC stuff. So my, my point with that is just that there's a lot of weird shit that's going to happen for a while before we get to that. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so... So Blue Devil, uh, his job was to um, shut down this power plant, basically, and it ends up causing a helicopter to crash that includes some of Blue Devil's colleagues. Yeah, his his uh, like BFF it. is on there. Right. They basically do like the John Landis uh, Twilight Zone um, style death, and. Uh, and so then that that kind of shakes him out of this. Uh, well, I mean he he's responsible for a couple of deaths, so I guess that that, that makes him that makes him a villain in this thing. But that 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 kind of shakes him out of it a bit. Um, and uh, and a, their deaths get a bunch of ironically get him a bunch of new offers for jobs and things on his <laughs> voicemails. So. So I guess it all worked out for him in the end. Um, uh, yeah, then we get the Kyle Fridge scene, Zach already mentioned. Um, and then we get this part where uh, it turns out that Luther and the Joker, of course, are kind of conspiring to do their own thing um, outside of Neron's plotting, right? So... Um, they they end up tricking the other members of Neron's council into getting absorbed into this soul jar, which is kind of a, a wacky scene. Um, well, they, basically, and, they trick him into saying, like, we're going to blow up the soul jar, and all five of us are going to get equal portions of the soul power. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Right. So they all, go, they all go in there, and then Luther and the Joker, like, do a toast to one another for their plan working out. Um, but, and then, so then at this point, Trickster, so Trickster shows Neron, like, what Luther and the Joker are up to, which, which causes Neron to favor Trickster even more. Um. Does he do that, or was it that he actually tricked them into going into the soul jar? I, you tell me. I, again, I, I read this the other day, but, hmm. I feel like he's showing them that he tri- that he tricked them into thinking they were going to break open the soul jar, but they really put themselves in there. Because we don't see those characters again after this. Yeah, but Luther and the Joker don't. I don't think they know. So I think he, I think he basically did the Superman two thing, where they think that they're being protected from the thing, but they're actually part of it now. Oh. Okay. Hang on. I'm gonna look up this. I'm gonna look up. <laughs> if that if it's... that's true, I did not catch that part. I'm gonna look it up. You guys keep talking. Uh, but anyway, at this point, at this point, Kyle, um, j- fresh off of his uh, offer to get Alex unfridged, is back rallying the DC superheroes. Um, they all think that Neron is looking for Superman. Of course, we'll find later that that's not the case. Um, but then at this point, Blue Devil also re-enters, um, the scene, regretful about what he did and ready to help the heroes enter Neron's lair. And we also see James Jesse, who at this point is openly conspiring against Neron, at least to the reader, uh, and saying that he's going to be the one that ends up taking Neron down. That's where issue two ends. So um, let, me, let me just, I, I did look up okay. th- these pages. So we're watching this happen, and when it pulls back from the Joker and Luthor talking about this, you see that they are in, like, this crystal ball on the desk that Trickster is sitting at. And so then Neron says, my congratulations on your efficiency, Trickster, tempting them with the power they could never have. How delightfully clever. I'm actually envious. So it, it's it's a bit unclear. I sort of took it as that he he tricked them into doing something that was going to trap them, but they don't realize mm. they're trapped. But again, that could just be and my re- it's it's not super clear. I just thought that crystal ball was him watching them. It could be. 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It doesn't. It doesn't matter anyway yeah. because it, because it it doesn't We're become just being pedantic. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, why don't we take a break before before the third issue? Sure. All right. We'll be back in just a minute with more DC three cast. Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at MultiversityComics.com. Each week, we take some time to check out books and shows on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month, we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed, like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commanding. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinbro, Emma Phoebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe. Subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. And we're back. Vince, take it away. All right. So then the next one shot is Batman's De- Batman Devil's Asylum number one, uh, which is basically um, all the villains at Arkham are start a prison riot thanks to the, the events of uh the events of underworld unleashed um and it basically ends with one villain who's this poisoner i'm not sure we ever see him in another batman story his name is crippen the poisoner um basically disperses this poison throughout arkham and tells batman that unless he kills one person doesn't matter who just kill one person all these other people are going to die of the poison. And if Batman kills somebody, he's going to give him the antidote. And of course, Batman Does figures count out a... accidental deaths. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, since Batman's never killed anybody, of course, he's going to have to use some sort of, uh, uh, some sort of trick to get out of this. Right. Um, of course, Batman saves the day without killing anyone. Um, so you're led to believe. <laughs> well, it's funny because, he actually feeds the poisoner his poison and says, if you don't give the antidote to everybody else, you're going to die. So ironically, the poisoner could have gotten what Neron wanted, which was to have Batman kill somebody by having him kill the poisoner. But the poisoner's too selfish to die for that. And so gives the antidote to everybody else. Um, it's kind of a silly story, but it looks great. The arts by... Um, uh, Rick Burchett, so it looks very much like the the Batman Adventure stuff. Um, it's written by Alan Grant. It's funny, it's written by Alan Grant, and there's storytelling by Brian Stelfries, but it doesn't indicate that that's the art. So that probably art, means he did layouts. That would be I'm I'm, guess. I'm guessing, yeah, but it very much looks like like Burchett to to my eyes, anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I to wish the, I knew to the trained eye. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Oh, trained I am. Um, then we got another one shot here, uh, which is Abyss Hell Sentinel, uh, number one, written by Scott Peterson. Art by Phil Jimenez and J.H. Williams, uh, which is wild, except that neither of them are like Phil Jimenez is not Phil Jimenez yet. J.H. Williams is definitely not J.H. Williams yet. Um, so the book doesn't look like you would expect. Um, but this one is all about. Um, this one is all about your magical characters, but also Alan Scott, who is Sentinel right now, and he's young, and his wife is old at this point. Yes. And his wife is the the, the villainess known as Harlequin. Not Harley Quinn, but Harlequin. Um, she makes a deal with Neron to become young again, which, of course, drives a wedge between the young Alan Scott and his his young wife. Cause now of course she's like corrupted by having sold her soul. And there's a whole, the, basically this uh, issue exists to explain why the mystic heroes are out of commission. Hmm. So, you know, a, again, another thing that we mention with every event we do is there has to be a scene where if the mystic heroes aren't going to be a part of this, they have to explain why. And it's always some bullshit reason. Um, and I can't even, I can't even remember the reason why, uh, they're not able to be involved, but, um, uh, the, the one fun thing from this is the 
The Spectre thing. Yeah, so so we see Jim Corrigan outside of the Spectre mantle. And he's telling everybody that the Spectre Force itself made a deal with Neron. <laughs> And that he doesn't that if he if he were to go into the Spectre and embody the Spectre or let the Spectre embody him, he wouldn't know which side he would be fighting for. And so that's why he's out of commission. So it's a very weird like, yeah, the Spectre made a deal with Neron, but it's never quite clear what that deal is, I think, or like you know, normally the deal is for the person's soul, but is the Spectre Force a soul? Maybe, I guess. I, I yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah. So anyway, that's what happens in this one shot. Then we've got Patterns of Fear, which is a very weird. So this one is it's written by Roger Stern. The art is by Anthony Williams and Andy Lanning. And basically, what this is is that it's Barbara Gordon as Oracle. Um confronting Neron who is going through her files reading up on various villainous subjects and basically this ends up just being a who's who there's there's like it's like 70% who's who pages with 30% of this story running through it do I have to include uh, this in my who's who bind <laughs> you do you have to include it in your yeah yeah, you do. I mean, I mean, technically, by definition of what you're, it's a, it's a info, it's an info dump. I'm for scrolling sure. through it now to see if I have to buy this issue on eBay. <laughs> I think you do. You should probably be able to find it for like a dollar or two, right? Did I tell you guys how I ordered some of the loose leaf page who's who ones, and they were stolen from my front porch? <laughs> no. <laughs> yep. Well, somebody, uh, somebody's good. Somebody has a, 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 a sweet binder full of who's who stuff now. So yeah. Uh, how disappointed, how disappointed are they going to be when they're, when they find out it's not really worth that much? Yeah, exactly. It, it was a $20 eBay purchase that they're going to, they went to all this trouble for. Nah, so. Well, it sucks regardless. Yeah. Okay. So then we come to the final issue of underworld unleashed. Um, it's funny cause this issue opens up with a, a, a spread page. Um, where <laughs> the DC heroes are described as Earth's mightiest heroes. Did you guys notice that? I did, yes. No, I didn't notice that. It was like, it said Earth's mightiest heroes versus hell itself. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I just thought that was kind of funny. Um, uh, but, uh, okay. So we see the heroes battling through the different layers of hell. Uh, they're really struggling. They're kind of losing sense of time and place. Um, basically the first part of this issue is just sprawling battles of hero, hero versus evil in hell and also across the world and country, America. Um, you've got, you've got like a little time in Gotham they spend showing that like basically Gotham's in gridlock right now. Um, and it's revealed fairly early on here that Neron was never after Superman after all. He was actually after Captain Marvel, um, which is described in this series as basically... It's funny because they describe Captain Marvel the way that, that Superman is so often described, as just being pure heart, you know, mm -hmm. pure uh, selflessness. Uh, I really like the way that they use... Captain Marvel and Billy Batson throughout this. But I thought it was interesting that that all of these things could also be said about Superman. Um, and I, I do feel like Captain Marvel is sometimes just treated as a Superman analog. D do you guys do you guys have any thoughts about that? I, I mean, do he I is like <laughs> he is one of the Superman analogs in Final Crisis. He is, yeah, and I mean, it's obvious why. He he definitely is. I mean, you know, he was created somewhat as a Superman analog, but you know, there, there's a whole complicated history there because at one point he was outselling Superman two to one, and then DC sued, and, the, and <laughs> it, it was a whole big thing. But and I think that's one of the problems with Captain Marvel in the DC universe is that there there's probably three times in the now 50 years that DC has been publishing Shazam comics, the Captain Marvel isn't a Superman analog for whatever reason. And 
this happens to be in the middle of his really only ongoing series that it was that ever lasted, which is the the Powers of Shazam, which is fantastic, uh, really really good series, and um, in that series they make it very clear that he's not just a uh, not just a Superman analog, but I feel like here here they use that reputation to their advantage to make the surprise feel worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so at this point, also Blue Devil, Blue Devil's kind of taking on Neuron himself and ends up appearing to die. But like within a matter of pages, we realize he, he's not dead. He's actually like, I don't know, he's, he goes Super Saiyan or something. <laughs> he comes back and he's like a, like a super powered uh, Blue Devil. Some, something about, you know, you can't kill you can't kill the devil in hell or something like that. As if Blue Devil is actually uh is actually the devil, which you know he's not, but uh anyway, so um we also see around the country that, that evil is taking hold of, of kind of the norms of society. That's again very much reminiscent of the Snyder Justice League stuff, or I suppose the Snyder Justice League stuff is reminiscent of it in that like as of right now, people are siding with evil a little bit. Hell is kind of taking hold. You see, in a very Mark Wade fashion, you see um, politicians and like evangelical Christians um, embracing their evil side, uh, which is pretty good, I think. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, By the way, I did just purchase this comic on eBay for two dollars and eighty-seven cents. So. Good for you. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, so then, so the way that they, the way that they solve this though is that Billy Batson ends up offering Neuron his soul, and the twist is that the purity of Billy's soul and the selflessness of the deal he makes because he doesn't, he offers his soul to save everybody. He doesn't want anything in return. He doesn't ask for, you know, an upgrade or anything like that means that Neron can't accept the soul or something like that. It ends up basically like making him explode because of the contradiction. <laughs> and uh, and I thought I thought that I mean this is all nonsense, right? Like this is all we're talking about superhero fiction here. As far as conclusions go, I think that's a pretty satisfying one. Would you guys agree? Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was fun. Yeah, I, yeah, it was fine. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, you see some of the fallout after after Neron's uh, done for. You see major disaster walking around, showing the readers that uh, even though Neron is supposedly dead, his power, the like the power boost that he got, has stuck around. But when he looks in a mirror, he sees six 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 carved into his forehead, <laughs> and so like. His soul is still damned, uh, and that's the price he'll pay for for whatever this power boost is. So it's kind of your little teaser that maybe we're not 100% done with with Neron. If anyone you know wanted to pick this up down the road, but that's how this ends. Did I did I leave anything out or forget anything that you guys wanted to talk about? No, I think you did a good job covering it. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Um, very, very admirable. I did not envy you. Well, see, I don't I think this is that bad. I, I don't think it's this. bad. I think it's just like nothing. It is. <laughs> really. It is nothing. It is nothing. It's I don't. Yeah, not. I don't think it's bad at all. I just think it's the least interesting of the of the events we've talked about so far. Because other than Millennium, I mean, Millennium was bad and not interesting. So this is at least I think ranks above Millennium for me. Yeah. I mean, again, it's the the best thing about it is how mercifully short it is. Yeah. If you, if you didn't read any of the one shots, which you certainly would not have to do for this to just be like a three issue. They're not even really oversized issues. They're, they're 38 pages instead of the traditional, you know, 20. Oh, they are. So. They were yeah. 38. OK, yeah. I couldn't yeah. even. They seemed shorter than that to me. And it, like that's it, not. It felt, that's not crazy, you know. I know, but it felt like a breeze is what I'm saying. Like, I, I 
man, th- this would go down. So if you're interested in, in following us along at all, this would be so easy to just read the three Underworld Unleashed issues and never think about it again, you know? Um, which I, I think I think that goes a long way for me enjoying an event. I think even good that, events... That you could read it, once, read it once and never have to think about it again. No, that it's so short. I think <laughs> even, even good events yeah. get, get weakened by uh, being dragged out, you know? I think, like, compare this to the Snyder Justice League stuff. Like, we like Snyder's Justice League in general, but just the 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 year of the villain type stuff getting dragged out as long as it was, it just felt so interminable, right? Like, there's a lack of variety there at a certain point. Whereas this, you know, provided you don't read all the tie-ins, it's so short. It goes down so smooth. Um, I wish all events were like three or four issues and mi- minimal tie-ins. L- let me say this too, though. Even though it was so short, it could have been two issues really easily. <laughs> like there's a lot of... Sure, yeah. In that, yep. in that middle issue, there's a lot of the hints that Superman is being held that never pay off. And there's, a, there's a lot of stuff that could be condensed without losing too much of the mojo of the story sure yeah i agree with that and and there were a lot of tie-ins we didn't read but i will say like again stack them up to the year of the villain tie-ins like anything that had an offer or year of the villain or anything banner on it it pales in comparison to that what i really like about all about this um i was looking i'm looking up a, a point of order here before i say this um, so this entire event happened between uh, November and December '95. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, like I miss events that are that short. Like I would have. I'm almost fine with the Snyder Justice League taking over all of the books for a month or two, but then it's over. Versus it seemed like the year of the villain went on for a full year. Yeah. Right. I think it did, didn't it? I mean I think so. And I just don't <laughs> I just don't need that. Right. No one has time for that. Um But yeah. It, it, and also, if you're too lazy to read all of this, the Wikipedia page does have a list of the heroes who accepted Neuron's offer. Those who did not who rejected Neuron's offer, and uh, the villains who did the same. So wow, yeah. I think I would definitely need to like read into this more to confirm this, but I I do feel like years ago when I read about this event, there were maybe some lasting repercussions as far as some of the Neuron deals that like changed some villains kind of like permanently moving forward, or not permanently, but at least for like outside of you know a few months after the event uh i i may be off on that well i remember again look at me talking about starman here but this sort of plays into a whole starman arc as well Uh uh-huh and it plays into is it there's one other book that's like the there are there are oh it's rebels actually there's like four or five shazam stories four or five starmans and four or five rebels that all play into this. And I feel like all of those did not change too much. Like they were, they became this affected an arc or two, but didn't like do anything lasting. I can't think of any villains that were lastingly changed. Can you guys? So I'm look. I'm on Wikipedia right now. So this is interesting. Um, Superman uh, was not in the book because at this time he was in outer space as part of a crossover storyline called The Trial of Superman. Um, so he wasn't even on Earth then. Um, after Underworld Unleashed ended, um, in Aquaman, a story revealed the details of Ocean Master's deal with Neuron, and that was um, actually taking place after the event ended. Um uh, let's see. There's something with Triumph and his deal. 
um, in Justice League ta- Task Force that happened in August of 96. Wonder Woman 96 to 97, a story, uh, Cheetah's, the, the reason that Cheetah took the deal is revealed. Um, let's see. Yeah, there's the Starman story. Um, so it looks like through, um, it looks like through 96 and even into 97, um, there were uh, like a few um, kind of ramifications from the event. <laughs> Teen Titans Volume 3, number 42 in February 2007 reveals Kid Devil's deal with Neuron. <laughs> wow. That's funny. So on our uh, patent pending uh, pull pirate or pulp scale, Vince, where do you put this? Solid pirate. Zach? Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, pretty solid pirate. Arrgh. <laughs> Let's pirate this. Well, um, thank you for listening, folks. We appreciate it. Next time we get together, we will be talking about the final night, which is a really fun event. Uh, I'm very excited to talk about that one. Mm-hmm. I don't know if the boys are, but I am. Mm-hmm. I've actually read it before. It's been a while, but... It's been uh, a while. Fun- Fun story. It was one of the very first comics I purchased on Comixology. Look at that. Nice. So over a decade ago. Yeah. And uh, we will be joined on that episode by our friend Greg Matasevich. So of Robots of Tomorrow and also uh, who's been doing those great bind auctions on Multiversity Comics. He's raised, I think, close to a thousand dollars now with those binds already, which is incredible. Good wow. For him. I got outbid on a couple. I, I bid on his uh, Seven Soldiers bind, and I was going to bid on his Jim Starlin's uh, Batman bind, but the uh, the price jumped up above what I was willing to pay pretty instantaneously, So, which is great. I hope I get outbid for all of them because that means that he's raising a lot of money for charity, so that's awesome. Uh, also, boys, of note, this is our 10th installment of our crisis management series if we count the cosmic odyssey reissue wow so we are almost a quarter of the way (laughs) 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 well if you need to get in touch with us uh two-thirds of us are on twitter i am at brian needs an app and i am at wilker fox if you need to find vince vince is frantically searching farmers only for neuron so he can make a deal to be the new host of Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives. Oh, my God. (laughs) The one thing I want in all the world. (laughs) Yep. Uh, You want to be the mayor of Flavortown, we know. (laughs) So, anyway, folks. I'll I'll even be assistant to the mayor of Flavortown. Okay, there we go. You'll be a mayor's aide. (laughs) Yeah. All right, folks. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Oh shit, they were both banished for being clumsy.